0: Science story, huh?
1: These NYU scientists—they uh, it felt it. And I, I, right. right. I was so and I just happy. Thought, well, I had figured
2: it wow. out. It was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. Everybody. welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science.
3: We are your hosts, Erin Barker. And Liz Neely. And this week, we are presenting stories about how a scientist is born. That's right, Liz. When two scientists love each other very much, <laughs> they get together. No, no, no. That's how it works, right? No, it's a little more feel like we need to have a sit down and have a conversation <laughs> about what happens. <laughs> because... Are MetaClorians involved? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like we laugh, but for me, grad school was not at all what I was expecting, right? Everything I'd ever been good at before, acing my tests, like getting good grades, it meant nothing. Nothing. So abolish the GRE. I want to shout out my friends. Um, But, like, I went into this thinking, like, all I've got to do is read these papers, like, learn all this cool stuff. I had no idea how personal science is. And, like, kind of like a parent. Like, your advisor has so much control over your life, for better or worse. And, I mean, we've heard those stories on our podcast. Oh, yeah. We sure have. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, like, they also they're feeding you ideas they're showing you what papers to read and if it all goes well you become part of this like lineage of PhDs right but you just you never know that when you're starting you don't know how to become a scientist how to be a scientist and just nobody talks about those parts nobody sits you down and tells you what it's going to be like for you
2: I think maybe our
3: storytellers today will give us some idea of how it works. I think they have some advice. (laughs) Our first story is from Lily B. It was recorded in July 2019 at the Cards Against Humanity Theater in Chicago. The theme of that night was Not
1: All is Lost. I don't know if as the producer of the show, I am allowed to say this but not that into science i mean okay okay i take it back i take it back i'm not not that i'm not that into science i get it i appreciate it i watched some dave attenborough nature show (laughs) i love that shit i love it i love it and I appreciate it for like the read, like, I could take selfies because of science, right? I could, uh, I, I get, I get around. I'm going to Paris because of science. I get to drive cars because of science. But I'm not going to tell you how none of that works. I'm not going to look it up. And not because I don't. It's just, I grew, I didn't grow up with it. I didn't. I grew up in a very Catholic household. God did all that. Uh, uh, uh. That's what God did, all of that. And God does everything and does not, right? Like, so you got the job, that was God. You didn't get the job, that was God. Everything was God, right? When I moved out of my house at 15 and in with my boyfriend's dad, which is a story for another day, another day, I know my mom and my grandma prayed about it i know they did i know they were like por favor dios cuídala like take care of her i hope she's okay because i moved out and 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 i and i was kind of just thrown into this world of discovery my father my boyfriend's father was a uh it is a buddhist limo driver and showed me a world outside of my little eight by eight block world that was that is or was humble park this man showed me everything outside of what i knew which was like for for the most part you know, i mean i just told the story my boob was popping out right like um you name it. Sushi, I found out, like, I tasted sushi for the first time with this man. I saw uh communities like Hyde Park and uh Korean restaurants. He introduced me to so much the city has to offer that I did not know. And so... When I lived with him in this little one-bedroom apartment, this was our daily thing. Like, we would just go out and explore the world. And then we got a two-bedroom apartment. And that's when his son moved in. My boyfriend. And again, Miguel wasn't too big on, like, teaching us anything telling us anything he wasn't a science guy either again he was a buddhist so that that's a whole different world of just like something else takes care of it not science and so we didn't we weren't told anything look outside of science outside of health class didn't nobody tell me about my body Not a Miguel, not my mom, definitely not my Catholic-ass family. No, they're not telling you about your bodies. You don't got a body in a Catholic household. (laughs) Body of Christ, that's all you got. (laughs) So when Mike moved in, at the time, I had not had my period yet. I'm almost 16 years old i had not had my period and from what i remember in at cps science or health class if you don't get a period you can't ovulate if you don't ovulate you can't have babies so that gave me a free pass to and mike too right to fuck like rabbits that gave us a free pass to just have sex boyfriend and girlfriend no protection we don't even need protection because i can't get pregnant i can't get pregnant if i'm not ovulating guys so uh that's what we did whenever mike's dad was out doing jobs and we did this for months and i remember oh gosh just not really like again health class i wasn't hearing the horror stories like i wasn't experiencing the horror stories and i and so i didn't notice these little kind of changes happening my sore boobs that was something else the the little foop that i developed that's all that cheese you eat now you know, you you write that off. You write it off. We wrote off every little thing. Because I'm not ovulating. I'm not getting my period. And then I go with Mike to eat, uh, to spend Easter with his mom's family. And we go spend Easter at uh, Grandma Alma's. And she makes tamales for Easter. And I love tamales, you It's like my favorite food. My favorite Mexican food is un tamal. And I ate probably 18 of these. <laughs> just, nah, nah, Just shoveled them in. And I ate like 18 tamales. All kinds. And then afterwards, we get dropped off at home, right? We're living together. Don't judge us. And I get home and and I and I sit down to relax. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I gotta go use the bathroom. I'm full. I got I ate a lot of tamales. And I go to sit, before I could sit down to pee, I get the urge to just Bleh, and I throw up red white and like chi- green chicken red pork and cheese tamales all in the toilet just blah. and I step out of the bathroom and I look at Mike and he's like you all right and I'm like I think I'm pregnant and he's like what what are you talking about what, what makes you say that I was like look I am Mexican and I ain't never in my Mexican life thrown up a tamal <laughs> ever <laughs> ever and without question he was like oh yeah you pregnant <laughs> <laughs> no tests required that was our test right there yeah, yeah you pregnant and so now we're like Ooh, but who do we tell who we telling? And I was like, it's not going to be my Catholic-ass family. We're not telling my Catholic mom that I got pregnant at your house. Because, no. That's not going to happen. I'm, We still get whoopings. Um, that's not going to happen. And so we agree that we're going to call his mother, Angie. And so we tell Angie. And it's like she had it in like a playbook. Waiting. She was waiting on this day. It's like as soon as he moved out, she had it turned to this page. (laughs) That bitch getting pregnant. Like she already knew. Because, real talk, as soon as we called her, she was like, okay, so you're going to move in with me and we're going to go see, we're going to go confirm the pregnancy and we're going to go and see that. Everything is before we jump to conclusions, but we're going to make sure. And sure enough, it happened like this fast. The, the next day or two, we were already at the clinic. I get to the clinic. I'm just sitting there like, ah, da, da. when's your last period? Never had one. What? Uh, come here, sit down. Uh, they put me in a chair. I'm sitting in a chair. They put uh, in the little table, you know, with a little paper and I lift up my shirt and without a test. She's like, oh, darling, you were, like, in your second trimester. I was five and a half months pregnant. They put the jelly on my belly right then and there. Right? The little, and then, uh, and, and did the little science sonogram, whatever the word is, the little sciency word, where it's like, where it's a baby just, wow, 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 wow. That's what you hear. I heard my son's heartbeat that day. And I start crying. Kind of like, oh my gosh. And then Mike's mom is like, tears of joy and tears of sadness. Because she's like, my first grandchild. You know, it's a like kind of a mix for her. And then we go home and we tell Mike, and he's like, oh, you are pregnant. And then we tell him like, second trimester. And he's like, what? Because, what? And it turns out, I had been having my period. It just wasn't the horror story that I heard from all my friends. Is how what, what it was explained. I was still shedding the lining. You know, it's the uterine lining. And it, it just I just wasn't bleeding. Perfu- I was discharging. But I was writing that off as sex stuff. That's just some sex stuff. And I had to have a baby in four months. Well, most people have like nine months to do i had to do it in four months and then i have this baby and the postpartum sets in because i'm like stupid baby like <laughs> like and, and more and not not the baby ain't got he ain't, i mean I, the baby didn't have a fault there was no fault he it wasn't his fault but i'm mad at it, the community of people that should have told me about my body Science had failed me you guys like no anatomy no physiology no like there's a difference there's a spectrum of period nothing like I got none of that and now I'm stuck having a baby and then everybody else gets to go live their non baby life while I raise a baby and I do I guess, right? That's what I mean. You do you you play the hand you're dealt. But I didn't know this. I knew like, okay, well now this is the hand that I am dealt. What am I going to do different with this hand? And I'm like, this baby's gonna know everything. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not, this baby is gonna know everything. There is not going to be a story this baby going to know this story that's for sure how this baby came to to be and that's what I did I spared no detail the fucking with rabbits heard that too he heard all of that because I want to believe that because I did that right cuz I took that moment that damn what moment that I was able to then do something different you know and I'm hoping that in in encouraging this get to know know everything know everything know everything that that's what encouraged my baby to study science later in his life maybe I want to believe that and as my mom would say you know Probably, you know. Who knows? Maybe God. (laughs) Thank you.
3: That was Lily B., Lily is from the west side of Chicago, where she spent most of her days raising her son. She started sharing her stories by accident in 2010, which she says is a story for another day. Since then, she's won story competitions, and she teaches storytelling all over the city, especially to inspire and support Latinx and other marginalized people. Lily is our Chicago-based producer for the Story Collider. She also... (laughs) she also produces the stoop she's an editorial assistant for story news magazine and an account manager for go lucky studios in all her spare time she's writing a book and she hosts tons of community and storytelling events okay we have a big
2: reveal about the next story drum roll are you, that's right are you ready for it you remember that baby from the last story oh how could i forget the baby that baby is our next storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> yes. He has grown up a little bit. <laughs> this is, this is Some time has passed between these two stories. And he uh, became a scientist. Yes, he did become a scientist, which is so exciting. Uh, Lily and her son Xavier told their stories in the same show in Chicago last July. Uh, I'm so excited. This is a story first. Uh, So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce it. Our next story today is from Xavier Jordan. This story was also recorded July 2019 at the Cards Against Humanity Theater in Chicago. The theme that night was Not All Is Lost.
0: I am standing at room 314 in a hotel. I'm trying to knock, but I can't. Why are you doing this? Fuck. Why? 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 You're not a party guy. This is stupid and arbitrary. You're not a trying-to-be-friends-with-strangers-in-the-dark kind of guy. You're a a talk-with-two-cool-people-at-a-booth kind of guy. But you're 20. You look 16. (laughs) Today was a really shitty presentation, and drinks are required. So I knock. Lucy, the girl who invited me, answers, and I'm caught off guard because earlier that day she was in a pantsuit doing a year's worth of XRD assays, presenting them in about 20 minutes. Now she is super tipsy. She has one of those tight dresses with like stylish missing pieces from it. <laughs> uh, she's trying to make conversation. I ask her about her research, and Lucy stops me and says, I am not thinking about that right now. You tell me what I'm doing, you were there, right? Kind of implying I wasn't listening to her presentation uh, that day because I wasn't. Uh, You see, earlier that day, uh, I wasn't paying attention to her or anyone. Uh, Me, my boss, Dr. Byrne, and seven other undergrads from U of I drove three hours to U of C, University of Chicago, for a microbiology symposium, and we're presenting our research it was a big deal, and I don't say that to brag. I say that because I was fucking terrified. This is my first time doing anything in a research capacity and presenting it. Uh, i It's one thing to talk about your work in front of your friends or family at a lunch, but it's another thing to present all of your research for the last year to 400 people who have dedicated their lives to something that you've only scratched the surface of. Shit, fuck, fuck, this is so stupid and arbitrary. And money, money, my boss gets money if I do well. Who would trust this, me, this, for money, for you? Come on. I remember being frantic at my laptop, just going through the PowerPoints, going through potential answers for potential questions, not looking at anyone. And I see water drop on my laptop. I look up, I'm nowhere. I feel my hair, only to realize that the water is coming from my forehead. I am sweating. I do not sweat like this. I sweat after exercise or from my eyes after watching Toy Story 1 through 4. I do not (laughs) sweat. This is stupid and arbitrary. You're gonna fuck it up. You're nervous. Breathe. Just breathe. Just picture yourself six hours from now. When it's all over. That'll make you feel better. Just picture it. And, uh, there I am. Six hours from then with Lucy. She leaves to tend to her guests. She's trying to predict where graduate vomit is going to go before it does. Uh, And she's got a lot of ground to cover because this room is huge. It's super fancy, super clean, no carpets. It's got like a mini bar and a hot tub and ottomans and sconces. It's like just rich Ivy League research money. And (laughs) my room, the same hotel, uh, had a microwave so, you know, I'm not salty about it. I like Hot Pockets. I couldn't throw a party that crazy anyway, and it was crazy. Like, uh, prodigies in line to get their tenure were taking their tenth shot of Everclear. Uh, there were people who were should not have been doing keg stands, who were doing many cake stands. Uh, there was uh, Kim Lee, this tiny, adorable, unsuspecting Chinese woman who had literally won an award for research service that day, who had been chugging out of a beer bong for like a a while, like a viking. It was crazy. (laughs) Me. I was slightly trashed enough to talk to some geniuses I didn't know. I remember staring into a circle of people, and I recognized a face uh, from the blur of faces earlier that day. Name, name, Gene Gilgan. Greg, Greg, okay. Name now conversation. Mm, I I hear them talking about taxonomizing viruses. You've worked in that field before, so I can say something. So I enter. I uh, you know I ask. Oh yeah, okay. Have have any of you worked with ICTV before? Oh yeah, I have too. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with their subfamily assignments or am I bullshitting? Honestly, I don't even know at this point. I'm just, but I'm in a circle. I'm not lonely at the party anymore. And there's a huge relief. So it's me, Tony, some other young scientists, and Greg. Greg is the most important person in this circle and the most important person in this story, and he would be ecstatic to hear that. Uh, he is a blonde, blue, tall charlatan who could charm an ox. He, that's something he would say when he was drunk. He's weird. Uh, he, <laughs> And I'm sorry that my impression of him sounds like Mandarin from Iron Man 3, Just if any of you have seen it. Uh, I'm bad at impressions, he doesn't sound like this. but he said stuff like, uh, you're looking as sharp as a tack today, or, uh, I'm not drunk, you could make me drive into a canal and I'd be fine. (laughs) Fucking Greg. Uh, We soldier on, though, at this point in the conversation, it's just me, Tony, Greg. They ask about work, you know, and I tell him I love it. I love my boss. I love my work. We're going to save the world. And then we talk about Greg's job, and his mood tightens up a little bit. He's talking about how he has to scan and comb through people's life's work to pick 2% out of them to fund and to leave the other 98% in financial purgatory, letting time kill them in their sleep. Fucking Greg. So we ask him. You know why? You know why do you do this ruthless job? You know why? Why do you do it? And he takes a second to answer. And as anyone would do, he uh, grabs a wine bottle off this oakwood table. Uh, says because bitch gotta have his money, which is out of character. And he threw the bottle on the ground, and it's like scattered. And uh, me and Tony back away immediately. We lock eyes, trying to see who knows Greg more so that they can take care of Greg for the rest of the night. (laughs) But then we both realize in that eye contact that neither of us know him at all. (laughs) Lucy immediately comes over and says, you have to go. And she starts pushing him out. So it's pushing Greg out. Me and Tony take Greg over our shoulder. And we start to leave. And I can see people in the room glancing at us with half pity and half shame in their eyes. And I just don't want them to recognize me tomorrow because after today's presentation I mean I've had enough embarrassment for one weekend because the symposium did not go well. Uh, I remember being backstage frantic trying to quell my anxiety and the sweat and the breath but then the MC calls us up and, and symposiums have those they have MCs uh, and it's all of us you know eight people you know going up I know the words front to back. You know, this serum will help make this bacteria non-virulent, safe in future mice models. It clearly, this figure clearly shows that its structures are similar to microfilament isoforms. In other words, uh, it, it can, it's renewable. It's reproducible and it forms muscles out of thin air. What we're working with. That's gonna save the world. That's amazing, right? Right? We're right? right? Wrong! Wrong. Because I'm looking in the audience and everyone is looking away. No one cares. What? What is happening? Okay, this is a safe place. I have this nightmare that my uh, porn browser pops up on the projector instead of my PowerPoint. So I shit you not, I do a double take. No porn, no problem. Why is everyone acting like I took a shit on stage? Fuck! This is stupid. This is... Why are you here? This is stupid and arbitrary. We finish, you know, all Q&A's. We go through the discussions and the diagrams and the, you know, procedures. We get off stage and nothing changed. What happened? And the worst part is that we have to do this tomorrow again. This is a weekend thing. And I already know that they're going to react poorly Uh, again. Fuck. But you, you can't change the past. You can't just calm down. You're gonna go to this dope party. You're gonna have a great time. You're gonna get some rest, and you're gonna do better tomorrow. None of that. None of that happened. Uh, uh, it's me and Tony at a booth talking about Star Wars, Clone Wars. Uh, Greg <laughs> is also there. Greg is there. Just his head is <laughs> trying to hold itself up. He's texting his boss that he loves him. That he still wants to work for him. <laughs> And that he could maybe use a raise because bitch got to have his money. Uh, I get a text that the Uber has arrived. Uh, we're taking Greg home. Me and Tony get in the car. And Greg is not getting in the car. He's not bending his body. Me and Tony get out. We try to help him. And the moment we, like, grab his neck, he shoots up. And his legs go above his head. His, the back of his head slams on the pavement. Me and Tony freak out. We try to pick him up. But he gets up. Fine. Like he didn't just slam his head on the pavement. And then his knees buckle and he falls down hard this time. The symposium didn't go much better. Uh, I, as soon as we were done, I immediately went up to my boss, Dr. Byrne, who's you a know, uh, white Mr. Miyagi. He's great. And I asked him, like, what, what happened? Like Everything was great. The, the Q&A, the diagrams, everyone else seems to be talking good. What happened? And Dr. Burns stops me and he says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. You haven't uh, you haven't done this before, right? I say no. This is my first time. And he says, hmm. let me ask you a question. Can you tell me what Stanford is doing at all? Can you tell me any of their projects they're working on? And I couldn't. In fact, I could not. I couldn't tell you what anyone was doing. And that whole day i wasn't paying attention and then dr burn tells me to look around and it clicks i'm here presenting and i'm not paying attention to anyone everyone here is doing the same thing as me so not most of everyone doesn't care about anyone here so i asked dr burn why are we doing this why are we running in circles are we here to validate ourselves what are we what are we doing and Dr. Byrne stops me again. He tells me to look around a little bit more. He points out about 10 or 20 people. And they're different. They're a little fancier, a little happier. They're in groups of two or three. Uh, Those are the um, investors. Those are the people that matter. He told me, you know, those are the people that I'm training you to talk to. Those are the people that pay us to do what we want to do. And I think they liked what you had to say. I didn't believe him. Day two of the symposium. It's uh, just another day. And we have to present again. And I'm a little less nervous this time and a little more fuck it. I present, we finish, we pack up. And on my way out, I see the most beautiful, like, three-piece, black and gray, Valentino suit, and who in it but fucking Greg? He's looking fine. And next to him is his boss. So we can't talk about the night before. We can't talk about him slamming his head on the pavement. Or me and Tony having to take him to the ER, me and Tony have to wait in the ER, and then him coming out with six stitches in the back of his head, and him saying the first sober words he had said to us that night, so who wants breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Greg. We can not say any of that, because his boss is right there. So I met his boss, Nathan Clark, a name I recognized from Dr. Byrne the day before. And that's when the lesson sort of clicked. It subsided my fear of these loud and complicated rooms. You know, I, I, they, I don't think they're stupid or arbitrary anymore. They're here so that we can connect, and more importantly, so that we can create. And I say that part because Greg made a play date between our bosses. Uh, maybe he was interested in our work or the fact that I saved his life. <laughs> and Nathan Clark and Dr. Byrne go to lunch. And just like that, Nathan Clark funds our research for three unimpeded years. Time to plan, time to work, time to save the world because of these loud, complicated, stupid, arbitrary rooms that I was so afraid of. And because Greg cannot handle his gin. Thank you. (laughs)
2: That was Xavier Jordan. Xavier is a University of Illinois graduate in chemistry and molecular and cellular biology. He is currently applying for microbiology research positions in Chicago. He's been telling stories for a long time and is glad to be part of the scene again. What a nice young man.
3: (laughs) Oh, I love that story. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker. And me, Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from our Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our phenomenal team.
2: The stories featured in today's podcast were from a
3: show produced by Lily B. and Rehana Maktoufi. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Zoe Saunders, John Chen, and Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Cards Against Humanity Theater for hosting the show. And to Tony. That guy's an unsung hero. <laughs> Did his lab get funding? I gotta know. <laughs> Shout out to Tony, wherever he is. <laughs> and to people like Xavier and Tony, and everyone who've made meaningful eye contact that says, Ugh, which one of us is gonna deal with this? <laughs>